Welcome to Abuelas en Acción, a podcast for our common good. My name is Marie Dahlstrom, and I'm pleased to have you join us today. The COVID pandemic has continued for over one year, hitting Latino communities and Black communities and other communities of color hard, as they are more likely to contract be hospitalized for, and die from COVID. These families are also more likely to not have health insurance, which means that contracting COVID-19 could force families to deplete their savings, incur debt, or forego medical care. The economic and health consequences of COVID-19 will most likely further deplete the wealth of Latino and Black families. We're talking about this because these families, individuals, family members have have been impacted and they are more than statistics. And we never want to forget the impact and learn from what lessons there are about how to do this differently. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Soraya Uder, who is a community health worker, promotora de salud for Familias en Acción in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, Soraya, so much for returning today to give us an update on how this past year has been for you, your family, and the families that you work with. Good morning, Marie Dahlstrom, and thank you for inviting me. It's always an honor and it's always a pleasure to speak with you and to share with others what our community, how our communities have been affected during this um, pandemic. Soraya, tell us how has this past year been for you and your family? Well, the pandemic has taken a toll. Um, we started off um, in May and June, my elderly parents became infected with COVID. My father was very ill and he was in a, um, we had to put him in a skilled nursing facility. And our culture is, um, we're not too fond of those <laughs> facilities. So it was very sad. I'd go see him and he, first thing he would say is, don't let me die here. Don't let me die here. But they've recovered and um, they're doing well. And also, well, working from home has um, taken a toll on my personal family life because it was very difficult for me to set boundaries. My cell phone would go off with um, community members that were in, in crises. And um, so it was just kind of, and things were changing so rapidly with what services could be provided, what was going on, what the media was saying. And um, it really, it, it was fast paced for a while. <laughs> well, blessings to you and your family. And I'm so happy that your parents are doing well and uh, were able to recover from this terrible disease. Um, Tell us about your work as a frontline promotora during this pandemic. How has it been for you? Well, it's been there's in the beginning it was it was you know fast and furious and a lot of our communities were community members were unsure. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of fear in them. And so my job as a promotora de salud with familias, we were, our team, we were trying to 
to help them with their anxieties of getting bills paid. Some people had lost their, their employment and you know the, the effects of, of COVID on their health. And, um, and that trust with the healthcare systems that was lost because there's such a lack of communication in the health care systems with our community members that are Spanish speaking only, for our community members that are illiterate, for our community members that um, a dialect is their first language, you know? So um, we've been providing wraparound services for the different counties. I specifically work with Washington County, but I have a lot of community members in Multnomah, Clackamas, Marion, and Polk County, and Yamhill County that I work with. We provide food boxes for them. We've had um, mental health has been on the rise. And um, so we've been providing resources for that. Um, also other resources like um, energy assistance, rental assistance. Um, and like I said, providing food boxes for these community members that you know, couldn't provide, didn't have food to put on their tables for their families, you know? Soraya, um, I, I know that this has been a very, uh, real challenging time for so many, so many families. And the work that you have done as a frontline worker has meant so much. So um, uh, real quickly, you mentioned mental health. And mental health is an issue that we don't talk about enough. What were some of the mental health issues that you have seen in the families that you've worked with? A lot of a lot of depression and anxiety. Um, there's other been been other contributing factors. There's been, um, or people are t maybe it's it's been going on for a while, but there was a lot more domestic violence. Um, there was grieving because some family members had lost um, their family members to COVID, and um, it's just really hard. It's been really hard on the children. You know, they're, they're having to stay home from being in school and having to listen to everything that's going on in their families, how their parents are talking about how are we, we don't have any food. We don't have any money. You know, they're going to shut off our light. How do we pay the rent? We're behind on rent, you know? And then after the isolation period, this is the sad part. A lot of the employees, employers were letting their employees go. They had found they had been replaced by other workers that could start at you know at a lower wage. And these are these are families that are depending on that income. Like we all are. We all work because we have obligations, we have responsibilities, and um, you know, we need that income, we need that source of money. So the children have been um, want losing interest in their in, in in school and losing interest in um, daily activities. You know, this is just a trauma for them, and it's going to be something that you know. If mental health is an issue now, we have to think about the effects that this pandemic and everything else that has come along with it, how it's going to affect our children in the future. This is mental health is not something that's just now. Mental health is something that has to be addressed in the future for all of, especially all of these children that have been affected by COVID. So 
you've talked about the issue of virtual schooling, and we're going to talk uh, in a minute about the kids in particular. Um, but, you know, families um, uh, have lost income, uh, lost jobs, been responsible for elderly parents, and worked as essential and frontline workers. What so how have people survived? What have they done to, to get through this? Well, for the schooling, um, some parents have been fortunate enough where they have been able to work their schedules around making sure that the children get connected online, you know, but, you know, there's been some mar- barriers. Money, again, money is a big barrier because some of these families have lost income. They didn't have money to pay for the cable. So we had to find resources for them to have the internet connected for um, their children to to go on with school. You know, we have to... Um, It's just been a lot, Marie, just a lot. You have been, it's been a balancing act, I know, for all of you, for um, you frontline workers, promotores that have been working with families and in in so many ways uh, responding to the issues um, uh, that have been placed on families for virtual education, the the, um, uh, internet access and, and, and all of that. Talk a little bit about the kids. What have you seen? Um, uh, have you seen kids that have been lost by the school district uh, to this pandemic because of not being able to uh, uh, have access to virtual schooling? Yes, I have. And it's, I, I don't have, I personally don't have school aged children, but um, in speaking with the clients that I've been in the families that I've been working with, they've noticed distancing, they've noticed um, um, loss of interest in school and not understanding. We also have to remember that a lot of our community members are not, you know, tech savvy. They don't know how to connect to the internet. They don't know some, what about the children whose parents are illiterate? How are those parents, how have they been able to help these children? These children, their grades are going down. Um, You know, the school districts have provided tablets or, you know, some form of way for the children to connect to the schooling, but the parents were not given any, any kind of training. They've had to have other people from outside of the home come in and show them how to get their children connected. And so um, that's a good thing to know that there were people who did come into the home. And I know a lot of districts have had to do that. Personally, um, I've seen my daughter and all that she had to go through uh, working from home and also helping her daughter daughter with virtual school. And my husband and I as uh, abuelos have helped and you know, again and again, I've thought, how do parents who do not feel comfortable with the internet or have the means, how are they able to do this? It, it, um, and I, I really would like to recognize 
that uh, what the state of Oregon, the Oregon Health Authority, and so many of the um, uh, public agencies have done uh, to respond to this pandemic and to do it in an equitable way. Because in so many ways, despite the many barriers and challenges faced by communities of color and the most vulnerable in Oregon, um, there have been other states where it has been far worse and public um, uh, government has not necessarily um, been a, uh, responded responsive to the needs of the most vulnerable. It is complicated in having these discussions. And Soraya, thank you for being here today to talk about it because having these discussions, um, first of all, ensures that um, uh, these are more than statistics and um, more than just the impact of the pandemic that is past tense. It's an opportunity to learn and to be able to be prepared and to do it differently in, in the future. Um, uh, because before we got on the air, Soraya, you were just sharing it. If maybe you could repeat this for our listeners, this past year hasn't just been about the pandemic for Oregon families, correct? That is correct. You know, we had the pandemic, then we had the fires. And that was another challenge for a lot of, you know, that brought on a lot of health issues, especially for our community members that were outside working, you know. And um, and then we had the ice storm, the snowstorm, you know, there was one in Texas. And, um, you know, I had community members, Marie, that were without power for 15 days in Marion County. Not only were they without power, they were without running water for seven days with children in their homes. Ho all the hotels were, were full. They were maxed out in, in neighboring cities, you know. But what about my families that we're working with at Familias that don't have the money? They don't have money to put, be putting food on the table. How, how are they going to have money to go to a hotel? Absolutely. Absolutely. And these are consequences uh, and they, they hurt the most vulnerable. Um, as you mentioned here in Texas, where I live in San Antonio, we also had a devastating ice storm and I had the blessing. My, our family had the blessing of one of our, uh, our daughter and son-in-law did not lose their power. And we were all able to, uh, to go there and to benefit um, uh, from their good fortune but I, I, I never forgot how that was not true for so many families and there were lives lost due to this um, inequity. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll be talking in the future, not just about uh, future pandemics, unfortunately, but climate disaster. And these are um, uh, lessons that we need to learn from and not forget so let's talk, Soraya, about vaccinations. How has that been going in Oregon? Um, have, our, have Latino families um, uh, been able to uh, benefit? Has there been an equitable process? Talk about that for a minute. Well, you know, Marie, vaccine, the COVID vaccine is not a priority for the community members that we're working with at Familias because they have so many other stressors. They're worrying about, you know, putting food on their table. I just can't even, you know, 
talk about that enough that just putting food on their table and having heat in their homes and, you know, where are they going to get a job now because they've been let go because they had to isolate for two weeks, you know? Um, so they're not thinking about that. I, our elderly community members, the Latinos, they're having a hard time with that registration, that internet, you know, getting, getting connected. And I personally will tell you that I had to have my two sisters because I was working, took my two sisters, they live in Bellevue and um, they're very computer savvy. It took them like three days to get my parents registered for a vaccine. And you know what? Ultimately, they didn't even register them online. They got a phone number and they called a local clinic in Woodburn, Oregon, and that's how they got scheduled. What do we need to be doing now? What is what does the state, what needs to happen in terms of uh, making the, the, the vaccine accessible to our Latino community members? What I think is we need to do how we were doing with the um, with the COVID testing, the drive-up COVID testing, you know, clinics that they were doing. Have a drive-up, announce it, you know, let let the media know we're going to have COVID vac vaccines, you know, and these these are the the guidelines. If you're you know a certain age or if you have um, chronic health issues, and 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 you can come to this place and you'll get registered and you'll get your vaccine. Transportation is an issue. A lot of our community members, they don't have the means to get to these far places. You know, I had a I have a neighbor and she is elderly. She just got her vaccine because I had a pharmacist reach out to me because of the work that we're, she found out of the work that we're doing at Familia Senaccion, reached out to me and said, hey, I have extra vaccines. I'm gonna have them on Saturday. Can you help me get people um, signed up for this, people that are, are having challenges scheduling online. And she was able, I was able to get uh, her an appointment. And I've got, I got like 14 other community members that don't have access to an internet, don't know how to use an internet and had transportation issues because these sites are so, so distant. There's nothing really local for them. They have to drive far, places. Some of them don't drive, you know, some of them don't have valid driver's license. They rely on public transportation. Well, um, I would just like to say, we have heard a lot during this pandemic um, uh, about um, the selfishness of so many people and the the me uh, me 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 um, culture um, that has become so pervasive in the United States and around the world. But I would like to to say to you, Soraya, and to your colleagues um, uh, that. You are amazing because you exemplify the best of our common good. And this is what um, we need to model uh, for everyone is that what can we do for one another? Because there's only so much that we 
um, can uh, uh, depend on from our public organizations. They're, they're doing um, the best. Obviously, it can be better, um, but that's our job to push them to, to, to improve policies and to make sure that services are equitable. But it's you, it's organizations like Familias en Acción that have done amazing work. Uh, and I thank you for all that you've done. It is, um, it is so important and it matters. Um, so to end, and thank you again for being with us, Soraya, today. Um, what is needed, um, you know, as we're, you know, hopefully beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel, we're not done. We, we're certainly worried about this uh, 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 virus variant and there are more and more um, that, um, uh, uh, that are appearing. But what do we as a country and, and uh, what, do, what needs to happen for Latinx families, Latino families in order to thrive uh, after this pandemic? Well, foremost, we need to build that trust again with our community. The trust has been broken, you know, um, some people were told things that they were going to be assisted. I understand um, there's a lot of paperwork involved in assisting this, these families, um, resources. We'd give numbers for our clients to call for resources and resources would be exhausted. You know, it was just too much too fast. And I understand, you know, everybody's trying to do the best that they can, but also become more culturally diverse and become more, know the cultures of the people, know the cultures of the Asian community, of the African-American community, you know, the, the Pacific Islander community, the Latino community. That is a big factor, you know, and um, educating and, and preparing us for, for the future and, and um, working on things like that. Because, you know, education is empowerment and that's what we want to do. We don't want this to happen again to our community. We want to be, we want them to be prepared. And I know it's difficult and, um, and we have a lot of work to do, but we have to come together. The organizations have to come together and, you know, because um, it's different if you're bilingual, there's a difference between being bilingual and bicultural. And I think that that's where we need to start. Our organizations need to become bicultural, understand the cultures and the needs of our community members. Soraya, thank you so much for talking to us and reminding us uh, that we are, um, uh, we've all, had different experiences in this pandemic. And those of us who have had the privilege of being able to work from home, have healthcare insurance, have not lost income, um, uh, and have really been minimally impacted by this, um, the pandemic, uh, compared to so many who have not. And, um, and you mentioned the issue of understanding cultures, uh, which is so important. And um, even for those of us who do not feel that they may know uh, enough about so many different cultures, the issue of respect and humility as we uh, meet people and uh, uh, is important and being able to 
be compassionate and putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Um, very, very important and means so much to our, our brothers and sisters. Um, so um, thank you again. Sodai, is there any last words that you'd like to share with us? Just be compassionate and kind. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And we all need a, a lot of kindness and compassion in these challenging times. Um, and I would like to encourage our listeners to go to familiasinaccion.org for more information about all of their programs and to know about what amazing promotoras are doing like Soraya. And also you can find out more about their upcoming virtual health equity conference, Te Cuido Me Cuido. Uh, we will um, have uh, Isla Rosen on in the next weeks to talk specifically about the conference. Thank you, Soraya, for all that you do and blessings to you and your familia and all of the families that you serve. Thank you to our listeners for joining me today. And um, uh, please be sure to join Dr. Rosemary, who will be back with us um, next week. Uh, join us again here on Abuelas en Acción. Gracias. <laughs>